0: But I'd love to see you there. If you just know me from the podcast and don't know me as a stand-up, I'm pretty good as a stand-up. It's a good show. I think you're going to enjoy it. It's only made about seven men faint so far. So, you know, are you brave enough to take the challenge? Let's sit back, relax, and enjoy whichever podcast you're listening to now.
1: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less in similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Leicester Square Theatre. Please welcome a man who's finally got his blue passport. It's Richard Herring! Thank you, my fan friends! Thank you very much. Uh, welcome. Thank you. Oh, wow, you're way better than last week's audience. So it's uh, much better, much better than them. Um, welcome to the show. Um, this is Richard Herring's Leicester Square Theatre Podcast. it's the last show of this series it's the last oh. last recording of 2022 people who listening at home will be in the future in 2023 imagine Woo. that wonder what terrible which, how many prime ministers they'll have had by then <laughs> what what did you say space flight there'll be space flight by then that will be, that you know there is space flight already <laughs> yeah okay <laughs> there will still be space <laughs> flight in 2023 yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you did get excited, but it's nice. It's nice that you woke up from from being in 1952. <laughs> um, and uh, but uh, it's Rich Townsend Square Theatre podcast. But I was talking to my Tamagotchi the other day. I must have done that before. I must, have, must have done that one before. He calls it Ralastep. <laughs> still alive. Still alive. I've kept him alive. Uh, yeah, I got my. Finally, got my uh, blue passport. That's what I voted f- for Brexit for. We can go back in the EU now. I just wanted my blue. It's arrived. It's as blue as the ace of spades. I have to tell you, it's as, it's as blue as the midnight sky. It's so blue. It's so blue you can't even see the blue in it. That's how... It was, it was always the most shoddily made piece of shit I have ever seen. Literally, the, the, it doesn't. you can't lay it flat. It's open up. It feels like it's been made. There's things that my, my five-year-old son brings back from reception that are better made. I'm not even joking than that. It feels like it has been made by... And apparently it's not made in the UK. Made in, <laughs> made in France. So it's a good job we left, isn't it? That's why it's a good job we left. They can't even make a decent passport. Uh, and uh, we've been watching the World Cup. It's the World Cup. People at home will know how... Has it come home? It's the future. I, I think it's... I think we're going to do it. I think, you know... I, I'm, I know I shouldn't be watching. I'm sorry. I watched, I'm watching it anyway, but my, I was watching the, the England-USA uh, game with my kids, who were not very interested, and didn't, there wasn't much on screen to get them interested. Uh, my, my daughter had quite a lot of ideas. She's quite got into football, and she plays football, and she wants to be a professional footballer now. Um, thanks to the lionesses, I have to say. Uh, and uh, she, she plays in her local team. She's very good. Uh, and she, but she was coming up with hacks. for She was trying to hack football. And she said, um, "Why can't you? Why can't people balance the ball on their back, and then no one will be able to get it, and then they could just carry it? It's quite good." Said if you could, or just she said, "Or just on the top of your head." But, they, but I thought they could maybe you could, you know, evolve a human being with a sort of dip in their back, like a ball-shaped hole in the back and then it could be just in there and then because you know, people would be trying to kick it out it'd be hard wouldn't it then you just uh she also thought people should just go on each other's shoulders i think was one of her ideas i said they probably thought of most of these but i don't think there's any law that says against it. i admire her for not you know she doesn't want to put the work in she just wants, all she has to do is learn how to balance a ball on top of her head And she could be in the the Lionesses, that's what, very exciting. Um, Good, look, we'll crack straight on, we have an absolutely fantastic guest this week, who is probably best known uh, for playing Rosie Jarrett in Frontiers. (laughs) That's why we're here, back in the 1990s. What's she been doing since then? She was also, as many of our guests have been, in Robbie the Reindeer, Close Encounters of the Herd (laughs) Kind. I will one day have interviewed every single person. Who is was ever in that? Who is still in? Will you please welcome the amazing Sophie Ellis Baxter, ladies and gentlemen? <laughs> Sophie Ellis Baxter. She's like a superstar.
2: That made me laugh so much. <laughs> yes, I was in Frontiers.
0: Frontiers? <laughs> one of your. Frontiers. You, you write about it in your book. You are with Joey from Bread and uh, the director of Sliding Doors. That's right. Peter Howitt.
2: Yeah, he played my dad.
0: Yeah.
2: And um, I was so excited to get the part because I really wanted to act at that time and uh, this is the first acting role I'd ever got. <laughs> <laughs> and um, there was a really awkward scene where, I mean, I was 15 and I think I was probably already like pretty, like five foot seven or something. Yeah. And I had to lie on a sofa and then my dad, Peter, had to say something to me and then I had to go... Carry me up to bed. (laughs) (laughs) And even at the time, I knew that was ridiculous. (laughs) Carry me up to bed. I was like 15. I mean, okay.
0: Did he manage it? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, my daughter's uh, seven and uh, I think the days of carrying her up to yeah. bed are almost... I can get her up one flight of stairs. It's
2: so true. My 10-year-old, no,
0: where could I yeah. think of So That's her. a sad thing, though. There's so many sad, terrible things with having <laughs> children. I know you've got so many children, <laughs> but it's a sad day when you... You don't, probably don't even know the last time you carried them upstairs and then it's yeah. gone, isn't it?
2: I did read an article about that once, actually, about the, like, the last time that everything happens. Because yeah. we sp- speak so much about the first times. But then... I think then you're busy doing whatever the new thing is, aren't you? It, like, it's not like everything just sort of goes quieter and quieter, like new yeah. things come in, come in the scene and... No. no?
0: <laughs> I'd just like them to stay this age for, for good.
2: Yeah? Yeah. So what, are they five and seven? Five and seven, that yeah. Is, are those are sweet ages. Yeah.
0: yeah. It's, it's too... I can't, I can't bear to think of it, but, you know. <laughs> it's nice,
2: go. though, when they get older and you can have chats with them and stuff. I do yeah. like it. My oldest is eighteen. I then, chat. And
0: I, I, love chat it. I chat to them now. Yeah, it's so true. Free. <laughs>
2: But it keeps going. The conversations keep no, going. I'm sure. I like
0: it. I know. Well, it's an incredible. You have got five sons. I know. It's funny, incredible, isn't
2: it? Incredible,
0: <laughs> incredible, prodigious. Now, I think it's as you know. We'll mention this right at the start. Mm-hmm. I am in love with your mum. I know. And I love. I've loved her for forty years, and I still love her. Yes. Uh, and she is. Uh, she's the most beautiful woman in the world. Okay. And no offense to my wife. <laughs> If if your mum wants to get together with me, just have yeah. to give me a ring and I'll divorce my wife and leave my kids and I'll be right over.
2: It's funny because my mum was going to come tonight. And the yeah. last minute, she was
0: like, <laughs> actually no. But then she's had you know she's had a daughter. I mean, more than one daughter. But yeah. you, you and then now mm-hmm. you should have a daughter for the next generation. For this. Oh, I see. And you've had five boys, and I think you have to keep going. <laughs> Denying. You've got to keep going until you've produced the next generation's Janet Ellis. Okay.
2: For the next, well, that's gener- an it has idea. to
0: be the next generation. <laughs> so please keep going. All right. Um, <laughs> but your dad directed That's Life. I'm more interested in that now. I didn't yeah, realise. Did. <laughs> did he bring vegetables home and stuff? Funny shaped vegetables home with him?
2: It's funny. My my memories of That's Life. Well, I've got a few. One of them actually is that. Um, well, there was a dog that could say sausages. There I think was. That was yeah. really famous
0: at it the really time. It
2: really was. It was this. Does everybody know about the dog that could say sausage? Oh great see. Legacy. Sausages. Exactly. Sausages.
0: Sausages. Sausages. He had to move the, the bloke had to move his fingers at uh, says, so uh, Sausages.
2: So I mean that was, was entertainment in the nineteen Yeah. In the eighties <laughs> um and there was another bit actually where um me and some of esther ranson's children yeah. sang a rendition of i'm forever blowing bubbles that they used in the title credits for about six weeks wow which i tried to find actually on youtube because <laughs> it'd be hilarious but i couldn't right. but if anyone seeks it out i'd be quite keen to see. i think i was wearing a really bright pink puffer jacket
0: oh it's got to be there somewhere Swaying. i mean that's life it was huge though right it was like it so was. huge it's sort of one of those things that's it's not been forgotten, but it's been sort of—it's
2: kind of of an era. I It think. is, isn't it? Yeah. So I, I don't really exactly remember exactly what it was about. So was it kind of consumer issues mixed in with sort of funny stories? That's a bit yeah, of everything. Yeah, sort
0: of just double un- a lot of double entendres. Ah, yeah. So yeah, there, it was quite—you know—there was there was there's that nice clip that goes around of the guy who rescued all the the kids from the Nazis, all the Jewish kids, and then he's in the audience, and then they're all around. Him, oh they? yes, that good. it's yes. an absolutely beautiful. Beautiful tear-jerking clip. So there was there was lovely things in it. And then there was Cyril Fletcher sitting in a chair. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you didn't get saucy. to the bit in... Because um, Richard was telling me that you're... Did you say halfway through my book or something like that? Yeah. So you haven't got to the last chapter where I just do lots of embarrassing stories. Like <laughs> <that>. <laughs> I have not. I do just, like, ten, just really, like, all the most embarrassing things that ever happened to me. Yeah. And one of them is a direct result of the fact that my dad used to direct...
0: Oh, tell side. us, tell
2: us, tell us. Because <laughs> every... Christmas, we used to go to Esther Ranson's house for a big Christmas party. And one year, um, for some reason, my stepmom couldn't farm, so it was just my dad and I. And I think this time I was about 16, and I'd sort of discovered by then alcohol <laughs> so I turned up and you know and you're a bit grumpy about coming to like your dad's work do I was like mm, I don't really want to be here I want to be out clubbing or something I don't know and I got offered some pink champagne and I genuinely thought it was non-alcoholic because it was pink right. so I quickly <laughs> drank three glasses got really drunk really quick tried to rein it in drank some black coffee nothing was happening and as we left in front of all the guests, I fell down the main staircase and shouted fuck at the top of my voice. (laughs) My dad and I couldn't talk about it for years. Years, like decades. I
0: love that. That's basically what's that. That's that's life in a nutshell, that is.
2: It was so embarrassing. (laughs) So
0: embarrassing. (laughs) So it was quite an interesting childhood. And you say in the book that you sort of felt you were... It's a great book, by the way. It's called... um, uh, uh, spinning plates. I can not help uh, you. And it's yeah, so. that's all right. I'm, 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 <laughs> I'm right I'm, I'm, here. I'm very tired. I nearly called. Uh, <laughs> nearly called your 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 famous song Groove Amarda by backstage. So you know I'm a little bit tired. It's been a quite a long. Oh, my son's got tons of lighters. Uh, it's been a terrible terrible time for me. I, uh, still, even though he had it last week, he still got it this week. <laughs> um, what was I going to say? It's a fantastic. It's a, it's a. Did you really with the book? You say at the beginning that you uh, when you're doing the audio book. I was listening to the audio book. Uh, and you said at beginning it'll be interesting to read this out loud because I just wrote it all in one go.
2: Pretty much, yeah.
0: And so, and you <clears> can't <throat> remember what's in there. If that's, I mean, if, if that's I Don't what know you, if it's a
2: recommended technique. It's
0: very good <laughs> if that. If you, if you literally just sat down and wrote wrote the book. I mean, if, it it's it like does feel very thought. chatty, but it's yeah. but it's but in a good way.
2: Well, I just thought I don't know how else. I've never written a book before, and I don't know how else to do it. So I, I didn't write chronologically. I would sit down and write whatever I was in the mood to write that day. And so yeah. there were all these different chapters. So some of it might be just about like, all the worst haircuts I've ever had. And then there might be one about, you know, when Grieve Armada came out (laughs) um, and Grieve Deck came along. Or it's sort of, like, I wrote it quite randomly. And then at the end, I sort of shuffled it into an order for my editor because I first sent it over and she went, how am I supposed to read that? And I thought, oh, yes, (laughs) uh, that doesn't make any sense. But I don't know how else to write. And I thought, I'll just write it like a stream of consciousness, like I'm telling someone. And then I thought, I don't really want to... Read that back. Like, <laughs> I've, I've done that now, so yeah, I got the notes and I went through the bits that needed a bit of sharpening or when i repeated myself, which was very easy to do. But yeah. I quite—I didn't feel afraid. I just thought I'll just chuck it all down there, and then that's—that's sure. that's me basically. I
0: mean, it's very honest. It's very open. There's you know, and it's, there's lots of funny stuff, and there? there's some uh, the stuff that definitely isn't funny in there. So it's—it it's, does feel like. I mean, I think both the ch- you know—the the, your child is very interesting because obviously you're in a, a, a slightly showbiz. Environment <laughs> as as you're growing up with the with your, your both your parents being involved uh, in the media in one way or another. So obviously your mum was uh, in Blue Peter, but also Jigsaw, which was better than Blue Peter because <laughs> uh, it had no Elwyn in it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so the, uh, did, is the, did you you always felt like you were g- going to be famous or you wanted to be famous?
2: I definitely. Oh, I don't know. I think. I think I was intrigued by a lot of it, yeah. but I did definitely always like the idea of doing something. It wasn't like I just wanted to be famous because I could also see that that didn't necessarily lead anywhere in yeah. itself. But I, I think I was intrigued by by that as a as a as something that can go along with some jobs. Yeah. But it really, when I found music, it wasn't. I mean, I was sixteen by then, and it wasn't about fame at all for me then. It was just I absolutely love this. So I think maybe that bit of being intrigued by fame had kind of gone away by then. I think yeah. it was just. There was a bit in my childhood, maybe when I was about five or six, when I realized that what my mum did and the fact that a lot of other kids knew who my mum was wasn't typical. Yeah. And I think I just was trying to figure that out. And bits of it I was really excited by, like when I had my eighth birthday and we got to go to Madame Two Swords and we skipped the queue. And I was like, <laughs> this is genius.
0: Right. <laughs> if that happened now, you'd be cancelled. <laughs> so it's, lucky, it's lucky that people didn't know about
2: that. <laughs> Don't worry, I have no intention of doing that. I'm not going to do it. But yeah, I, um, but then I think, yeah, as I got older, I was looking more for something that, you know, made me excited and yeah. and, and suited me. And music was definitely that.
0: And it's, but, you know, it is a very, that's an, it was an interesting time to come into that world. And you write about the sort of, you know, it's, it's the, it was sort of the late 90s, really, wasn't it, when you mm. were sort of coming into, into the music business. But it was that kind of Ladette culture that you were sort of influenced by. And it was yeah. a sort of very, it was a very odd time and almost like a, a little... Interchange between the present and the past in terms of attitudes towards sex and you know so. and, and and male and female relationships and yeah. stuff. So it's it's uh, the book's very open about that. But I, I I hope and I think I'd really recommend the book anyway. But I think to any young people, it's you know it's a, it's a, it's a very interesting when I mean, you talk about wanting to uh, teach your sons about consent and and the important the importance yeah. of that. But but I think it's you know it, in both in terms of um. Your, your, you know, your, your self, your feeling of self, and your lack of confidence, really, in yourself, and and uh, that, that I think has come about through through your work. You've you've you obviously got quite a a positive, and you know,
2: yeah, and having good people around but, me. But
0: back in the back in those teenage days, oh, yeah. it, was, it was a different, difficult time. It's a roller coaster for lots of yeah. people,
2: isn't it? But I think when you were <laughs> talking about that like Ladette era, I think I felt like that was. There was a lot of things I was thinking about it that I thought no-one else was, and now whenever I meet... Peer, I'm 42, and whenever I meet peers, yeah. they always actually say the same sort of thing, and I think, oh, it wasn't just in my mind. It really was quite a... Not necessarily that healthy, a lot of the things that were going on. It was quite a tough um, circus to be thrown into when I started out, I think.
0: Yeah, and as a, as a female in the music business... Mm. I mean, I think you say, you know, the people went before you had help, but it was still, it was still a very... Male, male-dominated business. Yeah, and uh, you
2: expected to sort of—it was a bit sink or swim as well. Yeah. Just get on with it and um, trying to be bawdy and keep up with the lads. And yeah. I just—I actually just felt like an imposter with all of it. I thought that's not really me. I felt quite square on the inside. And now I realise that's completely fine. Yeah, of course. Of course the joy of, course. of growing older. Oh my God, I love that. Yeah, but, but I at mean, the time, it's, yeah.
0: You know, you had a lot of success very early on. But you've, but the, you know, it's quite, I think through the force of your personality and your self belief, you've, you know, you've, in a way that most musicians, I think, don't keep it going. But, you know, it, you've kept things going and, on your own terms.
2: Well, I love what I do, but I, yeah. I, I can't really take credit for that because I've been lucky enough to surround myself with some people who I think are amazing. Right. And um, I've always, I often feel like I'm the least talented person in the room. And I don't mean that in a, self-facing way, I mean it in the best way where you're just with these people, you're like, God, they're amazing. They're so good at what they do and it it makes you want to be better. And I think that's great. I fell on my feet with a few people early on with my solo career. Yeah. And it taught me the importance of those relationships actually. Because if you've got the good people around you then you can always seek them out, can't you? Like they're like a <clears throat> you know a rock that you can cling to when everything else is a bit you know, up and down, like they're the good people, and if you stick with the good people, it tends to see you right. I think.
0: Yeah, I would think that's definitely true. But I think there there must be something about you because I think that that is driving it. Because, you know, not just in music, you know, you've you've done in lots of. I mean, just obviously more recently in lockdown, the the kind of kitchen <laughs> disco and uh, and and the the podcast you're doing, which the book has come out of. Yeah. Uh, you know, it is. It's. It's. I'm not saying it's not. It's not like you're driven because it's. You are. You know, I think you've got your priorities all right, you, I th- and I think that's why the kitchen disco thing works so well because it's you're a sort of international pop star, but it's you in your house with your kid, <laughs> with your kids running around just behaving like yeah. everyone's kids do. Isn't
2: Absolutely, it? real life. And going back to you know keeping going, I think it, with me, I, I never had a plan B. I don't think there's anything else I'm uh, qualified to do. <laughs> 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 and, um, I really love what I do for a living, and I, I think especially after. The Kitchen Discos was about so many things. It was about uh, giving ourselves something to do, my husband Richard and I something to do when we were feeling you know, the pressure and the heaviness of what was going on in the world. It was doing something about bit silly and fun, It's connecting with people and forming that community. But also, it reminded me how much I love music. Like, Isn't music incredible? Even when we were not able to go anywhere, you could play a song and it could take you right back to some amazing memory. Like, I just love that about music. It's yeah. the cleverest thing ever.
0: Uh, but you've you know out of lockdown, which obviously it was you know it was a bit of a phenomenon. But you've toured it, and yeah. It's it, it, now we're back out of lockdown, so it's be- it's become like a, a a big thing. Did you did you did you envisage it being more than just some messing around? In no your house?
2: way! You kidding me? <laughs> I mean, the first one we did, I literally ended the first broadcast saying to Richard. I think that's my career over, you know. (laughs) no, I thought I'd gone a little bit loopy, like, very early on (laughs) into this. um, But I think, I mean, the kitchen disco being a a live touring thing was part of something that halfway through, and probably a lot of people felt like this, you know, we had the first bits of lockdown, and you thought, oh, this is temporary, my life is on pause, and then as soon as we're allowed to, we'll go back to what we're doing. And then there came this turning point you think, oh, hang on a minute, that's not quite how this is going to work. This is going on a lot longer than we expected, and it's going to be a thing we all have to... It's going to shape our lives a bit. Mm-hmm. You know, we've, we've literally all had sort of gone on another fork. So I think taking it on the road was just sort of a lovely thing to acknowledge that part of our lives, but also give it a really happy ending, because then we got to actually see people and do those discos, but with a live audience, which is glorious. Yeah. But also, it's a little bit... Um, I mean, you know, if I'm not singing... I, I already was doing sort of disco and dance, and then if I'm not singing in my kitchen, then I'm basically just doing my day job anyway. So hopefully, like, the singing and the touring was always going to happen again. But, sure. yeah, calling it Kitchen Disco has just meant it's an p- opportunity to have that lovely feeling with lots of people. And it's been the most amazing year, taking it around the place. And
0: oh, brilliant. No, it's, 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 I mean, it's, it is so good that that's going... I mean, it's love that, again, out of the book, but also... Clearly, just from the longevity of the relationship, that your relationship with your husband Richard is so lovely, uh, and I think, I think that's what's inspirational about it. I think you went through obviously some quite unpleasant experiences, uh, and had a and a very unpleasant boyfriend before you met your maybe before you met Richard, uh, and you know, it just he seems like a very nice person, <laughs> and, he, and you seem yeah. to have got together, and it really works. And I think that's good to read about because I think again, most people will have experience something along those lines sure Uh, but sometimes you don't
2: actually think the happy ending's waiting for you actually when you're in a relationship that's not great because that's the way you first learn how what a relationship's supposed to look like and if it's not very healthy you think oh this must be how it's supposed to be and so when i got together with richard and he was kind and supportive it was like a revelation that oh i didn't actually believe that could really be how how things could be and yeah we just have a lot of fun and we were friends first so i think you know we really like each other um obviously you know sometimes we really drive each other crazy but we have a lot of things that we love doing together and we make sure we have lots of we share a lot of what we get up to
0: yeah
2: i think for us that's been really important so he's in my band again now and as well as his own band the feeling but so we tour together and we sort of have these little adventures in amongst all the stuff we're doing it's fun
0: and you 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 fell pregnant very early in oh the God, relationship, yeah. which so is, early. Which, but again, there's such a it, that, that's such a defining moment, and it's obviously that's a defining <laughs> thing of the of the it's relationship defining. <laughs> of whether someone hangs, you know, someone doesn't have to necessarily hang around. Sure, with, with their, that, that yeah,
2: moment. we've been going out for six weeks when I realised I was having a baby, yeah. uh, and I always find it quite funny. People like, oh, did you plan that? I'm like. <laughs> <laughs> No, but, um, but my mum um, gave a really lovely bit of advice to Richard and I. And she said, it might not be the right time and it might not be the right man, but it's the right baby. And I think that meant that we kind of felt like, okay, are we going to do this? Yes. So we ha- we knew we were having a baby together. And then we kind of just let our relationship, we sort of continued like we were still early dating. Yeah. So we didn't actually move in until two weeks before Sonny was born and we would have these dates. And I don't know, I look back and it's all a bit... Funny, really, but it, it was very um, formative for for us. And actually, Sonny was born early; he was two months early. So when he was born, we'd only been a couple for eight
0: months. So it was all quite quick.
2: <laughs> but uh, he's know, eighteen it, now, and but it's, it's all, in, all cool.
0: It's also within show business, and an, an, eight, an eighteen-year <laughs> marriage business. is is like a, a, a thousand-year <laughs> marriage to a normal person. So it's you know, it's a it's a beautiful <laughs> love story. I also found it very. I thought the the groove this this obviously groovejet was like this big. Mo- you don't. The first thing I say, your first band was called The the Audience, which I don't really want to talk about much beyond. <laughs> it's really confusing in the book, even though... What,
2: calling it The Audience? Well, because
0: it's called The Audience, and you keep saying, I was in The Audience. You go, what? Why were you
2: we in The you Audience? You know what? I knew that was stupid at the time. <laughs> yeah. I knew it, and but, you know, there were like five of us, so...
0: <laughs> I mean, it's, I love it, because it's exactly like a sort of teenage, hey, let's, like, we're the band, but let's call... Like, we're all part of the... So We're not better than The Audience, let's call ourselves The Audience. Won't it be confusing when we when we say no, the no, audience? It was worse win. than that,
2: Richard, because it was actually the audience spelled all one word. <laughs> so people were like, "Theo audience." I mean, it was just—it <laughs> was stupid. I do think if you're going to call anything, it shouldn't really need like an explanation before you say the name or after, should no. it? It should just be. And um, I mean, yeah, even though, audience... explain it, even though you explained
0: even though you explained the book. When I listened to the audiobook, every time it comes up, I was still oh, confused. I'm sorry, it's all right, no, sorry. It's good. And then it made me laugh should have every time. It. It was the
2: audio <laughs> just something just to like jolt you out of that.
0: No, it's good. It was, it was, <laughs> it, was, it, was it was, funny. But it, the, the story of the of, of you—it's one of those. Uh, it's like a sliding doors moment, isn't it, with your dad, Peter Howitt. Um <laughs> You getting the the CD uh, and because oh, yeah. you, you you sort of saw yourself as an indie. Indie performer and weren't interested in, in working with uh, the dance, music, with at dance all. music.
2: Yeah, because I think, I mean, now we're, we're really used to the fact that people can, you know, hop between different genres. That's completely yeah. normal. But in the 90s, things were not this way. You know, you, you nailed your colors to that mast and I was very much an indie kid, you know, Melody Maker, Enemy every week. Knew all those bands. They were all over my wall in my bedroom. So when the audience, sorry, the band, yeah. uh, <laughs> split the audience when they split up. Um, yeah, I was, I was high and dry, but the idea of moving into a different genre just wasn't in, in my head at all. Yeah. So when I was sent this instrumental track with a view to potentially singing, um, on it, I was actually insulted. It's <laughs> was quite insulted. I'm an indie kid. Why on earth you sent me a dance track? And also that was like a different world, like the house scene that was just breaking out into being more mainstream, that was still something that was mainly people going to Ibiza and, mm. you know, that was where it was. And um, so it was all a completely, like, new world opened up once I said, actually, you know what, I'm going to do this track because there's something about it I like and I think maybe it's good for me to do something that's other and it'll just be my own thing and the music press on that side of it, where even though I've done it, I'll just go and do it for me. And then it just took me on this incredible ride, showing yeah. me a whole, whole new landscape.
0: And you threw the CD, the bit in the book you talk about, you listened to oh, the yeah. CD and you threw it across the room because you don't... weren't interested and then found it later. Thought, Oh, I'll have another listen.
2: Well, it wasn't, I didn't remember what it was. It was blank. <laughs> yes. So I was tidying up and I just found this CD. I'm like, what's that? And I put it in and I thought, actually, there's something I quite like, actually. Yeah. I like it.
0: I mean, do you, do you, there's a, there's, in the Beatles story, there's this moment of where Paul McCartney, where they come back from Hamburg and Paul McCartney goes back to his job and then gets offered a promotion but then the Beatles, the other Beatles, are, they haven't performed together a bit, and they say we're doing a thing, at, we're doing a sh- lunchtime show at the Cavern, but you'll have to quit your job to come and do it. And I often wonder about the universe where Paul McCartney decides he'll take the promotion.
2: Oh yeah,
0: and what and how different. And I'm not yes. saying you that your music, I'm not saying Beatles. your music has been as influential as <laughs> Paul McCartney's. Well, I you, you not you you remember what it was
2: called at the beginning. But
0: if you, <laughs> if you if you if you hadn't picked up that CD a second time, yes, do you think? Do you think? I mean, I think that that. Song was so instrumental in in sort of the wow. direction you were going to go in anyway.
2: Maybe Groove Jet is my promotion. Maybe I should yeah. have kept it in the bin. Maybe. Who knows what would have happened well, in the universe?
0: Imagine that, <laughs> let's imagine that world. <laughs> let's imagine the world where Paul let's McCartney imagine. took the job. <laughs> 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 yeah. I'm, I'm absolutely fascinated but by no, things like think, that. Yeah,
2: you do have like moments that are really pivotal, yeah. and um, yeah, every everything changed with that song. So it's it's the song that taught me the most, and before it was even a hit, actually, before it even did well. Um, it was already really significant to me because it was about a change in my mindset as well of just thinking, actually, I'm the person who's making the rules here. So if I want to do that song, I can completely do that song. And just having this adventure, this way from things. And like when the song came out, my manager at the time said, oh, I wish you all the best, but I can't manage you anymore. So actually, when it charted, I didn't have a manager. I didn't have a record label. So it was kind of crazy and really stressful, but also really exciting because it was just brilliant to be doing something again and had this momentum and to think and you, oh what next was,
0: you sort of had a, a chart battle against posh spice <laughs> yes
2: it's so <laughs> funny to think of that now <laughs> yeah that was crazy intense wow it's so basically victoria beckham was the last of the spice girls to release a solo single and all of the others had had number ones so there was a lot of pressure on victoria to have a number one with this song called out of your mind that she did with um dane bowers
0: yes yeah. yes and you beat
2: her well the song did better yeah, yeah. It, but it was really crazy actually um because the song all in all week in the midweeks was behind um her song oh it's the true steppers that's right true steppers and Dane barris who did the song with and all week we were behind them and it was getting closer and closer till on the last midweek there was only 500 sales between them being number one and um spiller and i at number two and then it went quiet on the Saturday, and I thought, oh, maybe I should just pop to Woolworths and buy it. What if there's only one single in it, and, it was, and I'm the one? And I thought, no, I can't do it. I've never bought my own music. I'm not going to start now. And I went home. And then the next day, we'd sold 20,000 more copies on that Saturday, which Amazing. is bonkers. And it was really exciting. And because I'd come from a band that had been dropped and, you know, being high and dry, I just really tried to take everything in. Because I knew at the time, like, that, it was, that doesn't happen very often in anyone's life. So I was like, okay. Yeah. Try and remember it all.
0: And do you think your manager regrets letting you go just at that point in your career, or did he...?
2: No, I don't think he did. He's a nice man. He's called Martin. I still see him around sometimes. And he, he was not He was part of the indie side of things. I think, again, that shows, you know, it was still that old-school way of, you know... Yeah. He said, oh, I wish you all the best. I don't really quite understand what you're doing with the dance thing, but I wish you all the best. And he said, and one bit of advice, don't... Um, you're going to get offers to go and sing in lots of clubs up and down the UK... Don't do it because it's a bit of a, you'll get stuck there and you won't be able to emerge. And and I was like, yeah. And then as soon as I got these offers, I was like, hell yes. I sang at literally all of those clubs. I was like, so happy to be working. I just thought, yeah, I'm going to... I don't care if I get... That. Like, yes, count me in.
0: <laughs> so <laughs> you're driving around, you were driving around the country just doing, like, 10-minute spots in clubs and then doing yeah. another club and...
2: The quickest in and out was 11 minutes from pulling <laughs> up to singing and then coming out. Because, obviously, I only had Groovejet anyway. Yeah. And so I'd go into these clubs and <clears throat> they were like... I don't know, they things like Equinox and I'd have to wait in the manager's office before they call me out into the main <laughs> club. So you'd get there and it'd be, like, one in the morning and <laughs> boom, 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 plumbing through the walls... <laughs> And there'd be, like, some, like, page three calendar on the wall and bright lighting, and I was like, oh, man. And then you'd get pulled out, and they'd often not know who I was, so I'd either get introduced (laughs) to Spiller, or they'd say, like, one night they said, Sarah Alabaster. (laughs) And I was like, whatever. (laughs) <laughs> Sing, Groove Jet. Thank you. Back in the car.
0: <laughs> would people like blow? Did that blow people's minds that you were actually turning up in clubs? No, no, no. Because no, that was
2: that's very much the thing. You know, right. if you've got like a a house hit, then I used to see other singers doing the same thing. It was a circuit. You know, they all these, um, was, a lot of female singers would be backstage, and then they'd go out, and some of them were singing on maybe two or three really big songs, like yeah. songs you know, you know, things that were all over the radio. Um, And yeah, I was just really grateful. I mean, I'd really come from thinking that was the end of my singing career. So to be back working was awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I was 21 Um, then.
0: I mean, there's a few celebrity stories in the in in the book, <laughs> but I think the one I like the best uh, is was, was a bit before this. I think was uh, when you met Jarvis Cocker, oh, and god, that's, that's I think this is a great this is a this is a great story. <laughs> uh,
2: <laughs> that's something on my cheeks going pink. Um, oh god, it's really embarrassing. Actually, uh, I met Jarvis at a party, and he was talking to me. It was just before this is hardcore came out. And he was being quite, um, quite open actually, because he'd had massive success with um, the previous record. Uh, oh, what's the one called with the one was called Common People, and, and different class, yeah. Thank the you. Class, <laughs> and um, so he was a bit nervous about this is hardcore, and and we were chatting, and then I said, um, I've got to go home now, but if you want um, my boyfriend's recorded, <laughs> so it's just so bad, uh, the latest um, episode of Alan Partridge. Yeah. So if you want to come back, you can watch it with us at my flat. Um, <laughs> so we go back to my flat, uh, where yep there 's my boyfriend, and Jarvis kind of comes in, and we had this tiny flat I mean it was minuscule, and so we sat there was one little sofa down one end and then one upright chair on the side of the wall. so Jarvis took the awkward, upright chair and sort of sat on the side, like watching Alan Partridge and I remember thinking, this is weird because this is all we said we 'd do, but no one seems to be really very chilled about it and then he went to the loo and then he left and then um, it was a a rented flat in Camden just above the World 10 pub and after he left I went into the bathroom and I saw that he'd basically the previous occupants had put a massive pulp sticker on the underside of the loo (laughs) so when he'd gone to the loo he would have seen this and would have thought either that we were like massive fans or we really didn't like pop. <laughs> <laughs> it was just so embarrassing i could never really quite put my finger on why it was so i mean i awkward think thought like a, that,
0: yeah i think know but, but i mean i know you were talking about mm. alan partridge and say i've got the latest episode <laughs> but i think he must have thought yeah, we're not going back to watch <laughs> Alan Partridge.
2: <laughs> i'm so so green i was like i don't get it we're literally just watching <laughs> alan partridge like Come on, guys. I think
0: it's a lovely image of him <laughs> sitting there and not watching and he probably, quite so en- he probably quite enjoyed it.
2: Yeah, well, it's, it was a, bit very, it's a very good show. And I really like Jarvis, and I hope yeah. he's okay with that now. I, hope, I haven't really spoken to him about it ever.
0: Okay, I'll get him, I'm going to get him on this podcast you, yeah. and just ask him about that. Please, make it right felt. for
2: me, please.
0: I bet he went back to loads of people's places and watched, <laughs> and watched Alan Partridge. Probably. Yeah, serial. Glam metal detectives he probably was watching. <laughs> I bet he liked glam metal detectives. <laughs> 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 and uh, you had a sort of beef with uh, Robbie Williams, yes. Um, which yes. Would, would, you, would you say it was? I mean, he was quite nasty to you, but you were did you think, I you're sort of apologising to him. I definitely
2: started it, yeah. but we have actually subsequently totally made it up. I actually yeah. it bothered me for years. Right. Uh, but yes, when I was uh, again in the audience, uh, we were offered a support <laughs> slot with Robbie, and I didn't want to do that because I was you know, such a... I came from such a music fan side of the tracks that, to me, if you had a band support another band or artist, whatever, I thought that that meant, like, thumbs up both ways. You know, if you support someone, that means, I think this person's great, I've got all their records. And I didn't feel that way about Robbie. It wasn't... He wasn't someone I supported. I didn't, you know, play plays music. Mm-hmm. So, um, stupidly, the inter-band discussion about it went public, and I wasn't very nice about him on TV, and he saw it and it upset him. And it, honestly, it did bother me for years because I, I, that's just not how I would handle anything now. I would never talk about someone like that. I think I thought I was being quite clever. He yeah. was such a massive star. And the idea... I thought there's no way he's going to see little old me. And so I felt like like it was quite clever being really mean about someone, really successful. Yeah. So, yeah, it bothered me for years. And I wrote this letter and I was just like, look, you don't have to do anything. This is not on you to forgive me, but I just want you to know that that is really not how I am. And I'm, I'm raising my kids to be kind and I don't... I would be horrified if they did something like that. So, I'm really sorry. And actually, he wrote back to me really quickly and was completely lovely. He's, yes. And I really feel very differently about that. But, you know... You say some stupid stuff when you're young, don't you? you just come out with you do, but, bollocks. You know,
0: it's, that's what this, you know, that's what's interesting about the book because you're so, you, you know, you're so young and you're very, you're, you are naive mm. and trusting, and uh, <laughs> you know, and uh, it's, you know, it's heartbreaking, but it, but it also is just so, you uni- know, I think it's a sort of not universal, but everyone will have been through similar things on on some hope level. So. Certainly, I think I hope in the, so, guys. so and so I think it's really great for you to write about it, and I think it's you know it's and and the the personal stuff in there that I think is is really important to write about because it's it's also I think experiences that you know that are you know that aren't the the big big oh this massively terrible thing happened to you but it's still terrible things yeah. happening to you that on on a level that probably happened to a lot of people.
2: Well, I also think what's the point of writing a book if you're not going to talk about sure. stuff that's happened to you? I just couldn't. Sure. It'd just be so you know. It play, I didn't want to play it safe. And anyway, that's not. Again, that's the nice thing about getting older. You just, I don't really feel like I've got anything to hide anymore, really. No. <laughs> it's good, you know,
0: but, it's, but it's interesting. You, you know, you were you were, were just a, you know, you, when you're talking about this Robbie Williams thing, you were like a teenager. You were just sort yeah, of yeah. basically just a kid.
2: Yeah, I was 18, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. it's,
0: you know, it's absolutely. You're know, still you, living
2: in the Alan Partridge flat. Yeah. And he's, but he wasn't
0: a He was rude about you as well. So I hope he apologises. Even even if you started it. Yeah, yeah. He
2: was like, "Oh my god, why is that bothering you? Like, don't worry about it." it was The '90s, we all horrible about everybody. But, yeah. Nah.
0: It was a. It was a really not my style. It was a horrible decade. <laughs> I, think, I, know. I was right in the middle of it, and it was uh, it was a horrible, horrible decade. So it's nice to see that spelt out. Um, <laughs> but you've, recently, we'll move on to the uh, uh, other. Other endeavors, uh, and uh, I'm I've, I've quite interested on your uh, your um, Wikipedia page. You do mention an audition you did in the book as well, but it's it says that you auditioned for Moulin Rouge, but
2: well, yeah, um, I did meet with Baz Luhrmann yeah. and sang him a song and had a chat about. It. He was talking to lots and lots of different singers at yeah. the time. Um, I think he wasn't really quite sure who his. Sateen, I think the name yeah. of characters would be, but I really liked him actually. We spent about an hour together, and right. um, I just enjoyed having the experience a bit because i 'd love strictly ballroom, and I was yeah happy to chat to him. It was fun
0: in you, you auditioned for to be a bond girl
2: oh I did, yeah, right. that was really fun. I learned how to do a bit of fencing right I had to fire a gun it was all a, i 've had to go to yeah pinewood and, and do a proper um, screen test, which I found really exciting, although also a little bit embarrassing because I'd done... So I'd, I think that was maybe like um, the third callback or something. Right. I think I'd got down to the last three and um, they had this scene they wanted me to do but I had to, they wanted me to look like I was naked. So I had to buy like nude colour underwear. And honestly, it was mortifying. And the guy that I did the scene with, a really lovely actor called Colin Salmon, but then I ended up knowing him. He's like um, Dan from The Feeling, Richard's band. He's like his neighbour and we met. <laughs> and... Um, He's, he said to me, "I said, oh, we did that um, casting together." And he went, "Yes." And I just want you to know, I didn't say any of the things. And I said, "Sorry, what?" And he went, "Nothing."
0: <laughs> so
2: whatever it was, he said, apparently yeah. he didn't say. But yeah, it was probably just that I wasn't very good. For, mm. I oh, think. I
0: bet. That, well, not if you got to. <laughs> it's, it's sort of interesting to get that close. Would you, you? Would you have liked to do? I mean, I know you have done some other acting as well, hmm. but would you? Would you? Is that like a? Is it something you want to return to? Because it obviously was, a first, f- it was your yeah, first Rose, indication. I, mean, I
2: peaked with Rose Garrett. You, you certainly <laughs> did. I mean, that's the thing. People would always be comparing
0: to you to that role. <laughs> exactly. And I'm saying, why isn't she being carried up to bed by um, someone who's not big enough to carry her? <laughs> <laughs> it's
2: true. Um, I don't know. I think uh, my thing with acting is I think uh, you have... I wouldn't want to be... I'd want to be in something that would be... Flipping awesome whether I'm in it or not, so that it's you know no pressure on me. Yeah. Um. And I think as well with the Bond thing it was interesting. Actually, I I actually didn't really want to do it. And I remember lying awake in bed after I'd done the casting and thinking, if they offer it to me, I'm going to have to say yes because you don't really turn that down. But I don't really feel like in my heart that that's exactly what I want to do next. Yeah. So I think um, I I feel like the right thing at the right time maybe. But um.
0: Which Bond was it? Would it have been?
2: This was Die Another Day. Right. Yeah. Um, So, Rosamund Pike was the part that, yeah, he's obviously amazing. Uh, But I don't know, it's definitely not the thing. I think ever since I started singing when I was 16, I didn't really think that much about acting again after that, really. It's okay. definitely
0: music. Is but were you, um, have you? You've been in Neighbours. Have you been? Were you in Neighbours? <laughs> yes. So you I played a, myself. I but, mean, um, that's that's bigger than Bond, really. Especially you know, now.
2: I was just like, that's that's cool. Come on and bring in Neighbours. Like, what, what did like you have little me to do? is like whoop. Um, well, it was a, a fascinating scene. Yeah. Uh, Gemma Donovan's character is by the by the riverside and by the Thames because it was all they shot the whole thing in in London. Okay. And she finds a diary that she thinks is her—I think it's either hers or her mum's diary—but no, it's mine. And right. then we end up having a whole chat, a little confessional chat. It's just a passing thing. We're just two strangers that meet, okay. but it's a little moment we share together.
0: I saw one <laughs> where they had the, the other bloke from the um, uh, Pet Shop Boys, the Chris from the Pet Shop Boys. Have you seen that, Chris Lowe? Chris Lowe. He's in neighbours. He was in neighbours. There's a scene where where he drives into Ramsey Street and two of the old ladies are talking. And then he goes, I mean he's driven into a cul-de-sac and he goes, Oh, do you know where the the studio is? And they go, Yeah, it's like a mile down that the road (laughs) over there. He goes, Oh, thanks. And then he says I think he says is it the Pet Shop Boys? And then one of the younger characters (laughs) comes and goes, Oh, is that the Pet Shop Boys? (laughs) And he drives away. It's fucking the weirdest thing I've ever seen. That's amazing. I mean, why is he driven into a cul-de-sac when he's looking for a studio? There's something weird going on with Chris Lowe.
2: <laughs> I think that's, he's probably the same as me. He's just like that's come on, it's good on the. Were you, just,
0: were you just passing the filming, and they said, "We'll put you in," or did the, or was it arranged beforehand? Because that's what it felt like. With Chris. It passing felt like Chris Lowe, Lowe had filming. actually just driven onto the set. <laughs> We don't know who this guy is. Chris Lowe, not yeah. even the other guy, not Neil Tennant.
2: you're yeah, quite Lowe. right. I was sitting by the river. and I was just writing <laughs> in my diary, and um, yeah, no, I did know. And actually, we had to film it at something crazy, like six a.m. So, right. like if it's, and I was just, I thought it was a hoot.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and Game of Thrones. Yeah. How did you get into Game of Thrones? I don't remember you in Game of Thrones.
2: <laughs> no, and you wouldn't be able to spot me. I, Richard and I are both in the fight scene that was in episode three in the final season. Okay. It's the, the massive fight that a lot of people got annoyed about because it's quite dark. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that one. Um, but they f- took six weeks filming that, round the clock, so two units, daytime, nighttime, and we did the nighttime shoot, and we had to fight the White Walkers, and they got some armor... It was really fun.
0: If we look out for you, will we see you or? You... New.
2: No, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. But um, it was actually really cool, and a lot of the people that are in it have been doing. They've been extras in it since the beginning. Right. So I was chatting to some of them. They're like, "I've died six times. I've died eight times." How did got... you,
0: why did you Why did you do this? And how? Did just this for ha- fun. Well, I like, just rang them up and said, "Can I be in the Pretty room? much, actually.
2: Yeah. I wrote an email and I said, okay. I, "I would. I've heard." a rumour that it's possible to be an extra. If it's true, I would love to come. And actually, I think because they've been filming this very long fight scene, I think they basically felt like they had to um, keep it a bit stimulating for the cast. And so they had different people every night. So I think the night before, I'd been a chess champion. The next night was going to be some American football player. So it was like, um, and everybody was really lovely. And the first bit we walked in, there was this big tarpaulin tent full with about like 200 blokes who all had the same beard. And it was amazing. Like, oh, yeah, all Game of Thrones people. Although I did feel like a little bit of a Wally because we were really excited to be there. But I'd just done a little gig the night before, or maybe two days before, for this luggage company called Toomey. Make very nice, but quite. Posh luggage, and it, we'd been given these amazing, like, little monogram pull-alongs. And I walked into this tarpaulin tent with my little monogram pull-along, <laughs> and I was like, I feel like such a right now. But it was really fun. I'd you like a uh, little bit of mud on my face. Yeah, Killed a yeah, bit of dragon glass. <laughs> Come on! <laughs> <laughs> don't seem very impressed by i had I'm fun. just uh, sort of bamboozled. You're, uh, you're baffled by um, me. You know,
0: if I'd, I'd wish, I'd known it was an option, but I don't think they would have let me. And I, I like. <laughs> I like the bit in the book where you persuade Richard to give up golf. Oh, because yeah. Because you don't like God. That was, that, that's quite... I mean, it's quite sneaky. You're, yeah, <laughs> conniving, sneaky. Mm, I know. So he got into golf. Yeah. You did not approve of him getting into no. golf. I mean, he's here. I feel very sorry for you, Richard.
2: No, He loved don't. golf.
0: He had all the gear. Yeah. He looked great with his monogram tops on.
2: No. I don't... Come the, on, golf is... In his is, 20s. It's so unsexy.
0: It is pretty unsexy. I was like, I'm
2: not having this. So for his 30th birthday, got him five flying lessons. And I was like, I wrote in the card, golf is really unsexy, so if you've got to be spending time away from me, at least make it something sexy. (laughs) So flying was it. And then I put the golf clubs in the attic myself.
0: (laughs) (laughs) This is how you keep a marriage going. (laughs) All this time in show business. <laughs> it's pretty good. And now, and now you get to, you, you co you own a plane or you've got Not a, me. Got Richard um, yeah. co owns a
2: plane. Um, yeah. He's,
0: he's your good. husband. It's yours.
2: Oh, well, I get, okay. But he flies me places, which okay. is really cool. Sometimes. That is pretty good. Yeah, it is really fun. Blimey. That is, that's proper show business. <laughs> that is proper show business. It is show business.
0: Let me ask you some emergency questions while there's still time. Emergency questions? Yeah, well, this is what, this, what they're called. This is just this. Oh, okay. You know, those stupid questions I was asking you backstage. Oh, I like them. Uh, I'll ask you some more. Go I'm for it. I'm going to go from early on. Uh, have you ever seen a ghost? No.
2: no. Do you believe in ghosts, guys? No, they're
0: not, they're not Me real. Me neither. Oh, no. I, thought, I thought you, I thought I you might be believe so in ghosts. I used
2: to be so scared of them. No, I would like to, actually, but no. I just... No, it doesn't work, does it?
0: I well, it's not. You know, I don't think so. That, you know, as I get older, I'm haunted more. But really by the past. <laughs> um, if you ask Alexa if, if ghosts are real... What does she say? Try it. Try, okay. it, try it at home. I will. My, son's, my son is obsessed with ghosts.
2: Well, I was when I was a kid. Yeah. And I was petrified as well. I could not sleep at night worrying about it. I, do you and think now, if you like, ask...
0: If you, but my son's scared. Do you think if you ask Alexa, are, are ghosts real? Oh, she's supposed to definitely she say, say, She should not. say, don't worry, Ernie. No, they're not real. They, she doesn't say that.
2: Oh, no. <laughs> oh, that's terrible. I'm sorry. It's
0: very scary. Alexa's let you down. No, she has, but it's fine. Um... Uh, if you had to have sex with an animal, Sophie. Oh, God. If you had to. Yeah. Which, you can choose which animal it is. Which animal would you have sex with?
2: This is an emergency question. Yeah.
0: To, How this big animal. an emergency
2: are we in? we we'll get to that. <laughs> I thought we were feeling quite relaxed.
0: This is well, you know. This is how we find out a bit about your psychology. <laughs> and also, the Daily, oh, yes, mirror, the daily mirror can put Sophie Ellis Baxter wants to fuck a dog. There you go. A <laughs>
2: little bit of clickbait for you. There is one of those things, isn't there, where it's like, what's your favourite colour? What's your favourite... Yeah. Oh, you want to have sex with, like, a three-legged yellow cat or something? Oh, yeah. yeah. So there you go, I'll have a three-legged and yellow three-legged cat. Three-legged
0: yellow yeah. cat. Wow, that is going to be quite a pull quote. <laughs> the, the well, thank. Just thank me, Dave, just... To linked to the podcast <laughs> all right uh, th- look, this is uh ha- if um if you were, could go into a chrysalis like a caterpillar yeah and change and you dissolve because that's what happens to caterpillars but then you turn in turn into something but you can turn into anything you want to what would you emerge from the chrysalis as
2: oh the pressure because i'm so literal all i can think is butterfly wow, that's <laughs> that <is> pretty
0: good
2: <laughs> no okay okay you
0: be um, anything um, Possible is nice
2: well, maybe I could just go for someone living a really different life. Just, yeah, you, you know, be. be a little boy growing up, you know, on like an island somewhere on the other side of, you know, the world. <laughs>
0: yeah, you yeah. Can be that if you want.
2: Just do so, yeah, thanks.
0: You'd like to turn to a little boy, yeah. what, in Fiji or yeah. In Australia? Yeah, just
2: me and my three-legged yellow cat. <laughs> okay.
0: some <laughs> good. Uh, and if you could, um, if all the world's museum and art galleries got together, which they might do by the sound of mm-hmm. your life, because you've already been in Game of Thrones, you just have to say I want to be in Game of Thrones, and I am. Um, and they said we love your work, we love murder on the dance floor so much. We'd like to give you one item from all the, any of the museum or art gallery in the world for you to keep. What would you like to have? Oh, really? Yeah, which what,
2: that is cool.
0: Yeah, what would you like?
2: Oh, wow. I mean, there's so many things that would be really beautiful, but actually, the thing that's really popped into my head is that um, amazing painting of the um, Lady Jane Grey in the National Gallery. Oh, which yeah. I don't know if, I mean, it's an unusual one to want to look at every day.
0: It is, but, it's but I do, a nice do one.
2: love the painting. What do you love? We were about? talking about it the other day, so that's probably why it's fresh in my mind. Okay. You must know the one I'm talking about, do you wear? It? I think it was painted in the late 1800s. Right. But it's of, um, yeah, the 11 day queen. So she's only 16, and she's got her blindfold on, and there's the guy waiting with the axe and she's trying to find the block and it's but it's it's really huge and it's quite it's one of those paintings you can really stare at for a long time and as i I was having a chat about the other day so i think that's why it's fresh (laughs) in my mind if i had them on the wall really people were like whoa bold choice (laughs) um but i just think that it'd be nice to have a bit of art that you can keep seeing new things in every time you look at it so let's go big
0: No one's chosen that before. I'm not surprised.
2: (laughs) A teenage girl about to be A teenage girls about
0: to be killed. I mean, you know, it's it's,
2: it's, it's, don't analyse it. What is
0: what is life if that is not life? (laughs) That's what life is. Uh, So tell us about your podcast. So your podcast is is also called Spinning Plates, and how Hmm. did how did that come? When did you start that? How did it come about? What? what Well,
2: unlike you, I have a baby podcast. So it's been going two years, and. They're all conversations with working women who happen to be mothers. And that's kind of the icebreaker. So we sort of speak about how motherhood has affected them and affected their work. I find whenever I talk to my girlfriends or even women I've just met, the conversation always goes around to uh, whether or not you have kids and then normally a conversation about how it works with, you know, doing your job and raising the kids. And I just find it always interesting, actually. So I've spoken to women from all different walks of life, from... Like, the doctor who helped develop the um, vaccine for um, COVID through to um, Gina Miller, who took the government to court. I've spoken to ex-Prime Ministers. I've spoken to Spice Girls. Like, I just really enjoy it. Yeah. All the conversations are interesting. Um, and like you, you know, you just have to actually really want to do it with the podcast, don't you? Yeah. It's like, it has <laughs> to come from a, a, a passion, I think. Otherwise, it'll just stop. So, yeah. yeah. But I haven't done as many as you. you've done... Like over 400, I've done about 80.
0: Yeah, within two years, that's pretty good.
2: Well, I do really like it. I yeah. do. And I love the conversations. And I think I started it just before what turned out to be lockdown. And then during that time, it became really precious because these conversations were like the only time I could have a full conversation with someone and not be interrupted So with the kids. <laughs> so it was like really like, whoa, this is a legitimate, proper chat that I can have. Yeah. And it was really precious to me. So I loved that very much.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a very interesting subject i think as well to you know i think to take su- so successful people and talk about about how yeah. they got through had to cuz it you know they, 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 having a family does impact massively on your yeah. life mainly in a positive way but it is suddenly you have to re- you know like today if the, if kids are ill you suddenly have to make, yeah. make no, no, it, arrangements
2: it's something i think about a lot and i think part of it you know a lot of these things are selfish aren't they and i think for me it helps me still give myself permission to to really enjoy my work and not feel that guilt that I used to feel so much. I, mean, I still do a bit, but it's it's allowed me to balance, recalibrate that a little bit. Plus, you get to speak to me. I did one with Mary Berry the other day. and I mean, she's just such a lovely woman. You're like, this is so nice. I just have to get to have a really lovely conversation. And she did, of course, make a cake.
0: That's nice.
2: So lovely. Salted caramel. It was delicious. Oh,
0: very nice. It was. Did you make me a cake for coming on here? Yes. Oh, good. I'll look for, <laughs> <laughs> I left it, <laughs> left it in the
2: cloakroom. Oh, left it at home. Oh, I'm no, so
0: no, sorry. No, never mind. I'm trying, <laughs> trying to wash my weight anyway. I'm, I'm failing. And you, do, you, do you book it all yours? Do, you, do you book the guest yourself? We were talking about this, but a little yeah. bit on stage. Are you finding that okay? Have you got a good I've had to overcome
2: or? my... Um, no, I, I often do complete like shot in the dark, like just find yeah. a contact on someone's web page or anything, and I find it really cringy. <laughs> but I think it's quite good for me, that, because I'm inherently quite shy about it. So it means we, I just have to get over the awkwardness and just put yourself out there. And, you know, the worst thing someone can say is no, right? It's true. And every once in a while, someone you're really excited about says yes, and then you get all excited, and then, yeah. like, you have to do all the... Reading about them and working out what to, you know, want to talk about. But I like it. I really enjoy it.
0: Yeah, I mean, you in the book you do talk about being quite shy and like socially. That uh, again, Richard's brought you out your shell shell a little bit. But Mm. in, in it's kind of interesting. You would think you would be a very outgoing sort of party animal kind of person. (laughs) From impression
2: I give, I think you would think that from
0: well, just because you're a pop star, I Uh, think. But it's quite... I mean, I think that's the appeal, isn't it, of, of, of the stuff you've been doing recently, is that it's... On the one hand, you are this uh, pop star and, you know, that that's a very high status and mysterious thing, and, and yet you're, you're sort of allowing people into your real work, showing the real you as well.
2: Yeah, and I think also that, that whole mystique about that became... It's lovely to... Keep, you know, if you want to be someone that lives this life of mystery and you've got your stage persona and, you know, private life... I. I get that completely and I think I did that for quite a long time and then and then I realized that I wasn't really I felt really comfortable to just be more myself really and so the gap between how I perform and how I act off stage is really closed it's sort of one and the same and and it's made me a lot happier actually and yeah. I, I really enjoy in that and I I mean like Lord knows on stage I will go off on any kind of tangent there's like bits of vague I mean I can call it stand up but I don't know if it's actually all those funny, but I just go off on these little, like, wandering up and down, telling my little jokes. Yeah. But um, I think I'm just a lot more at peace with that, really. That little voice in me you know, that used to do the kind of critique of what I was up to while I was on stage has got a bit quieter. So yeah. I'm having fun. But the... You know, the need to be sort of gregarious in going out. I've always been quite... I I like being a homebody. I'm happy with that. And I have a lot of really fun times with my work going out anyway, so I'm often not really seeking it outside of that. Yeah. I get my Um, quota. It
0: does feel like, you know, there's a journey here and, and, you know, and it feels like you're a very centred and sorted person, certainly now. It feels like you've... I hope so. so. you talk about your goal being to be unapologetic, which I think is a... Yeah, wouldn't that be cool? It is. a It's a great... Yeah, I'm but w- I always find you,
2: that so admirable in people.
0: Do you, do you think you're getting there? I mean, not being unap- unapologetic isn't like it not apologising for things you've done wrong. No, no, it doesn't mean being ap- rude either. No.
2: It just means being yourself, I think, and yeah. not feeling like you need to sort of tread round things to just make yourself feel like you're making decisions you like. But um, I think a lot of it as well comes from really good role models. I mean... In this chat, I feel all roads eventually go back to my mother, <laughs> and uh, she has she is an amazing role model. And so I, I, I'm, she's always come across as someone who seems really happy. She's pragmatic. It doesn't mean you don't feel all the sad stuff and the big stuff, but I think she's done a good job of teaching my sister and I and my brother, like how to kind of find that balance. Hopefully, but yeah. also it's counsel, isn't it? You've always got people in your life that provide you counsel so if you are feeling a bit wobbly or worried you've always got people to talk to and Richard of course and the kids actually too yeah
0: yeah it's 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 really inspiring and I think it is you know I hope that I mean you're doing so many different things it is it's really interesting and I think just in terms even as a musician but I think especially as a female singer from the 90s (laughs) to still be like to be producing stuff and and making your own direction and Making your own work still it's kind of quite unusual. I mean, there's oh, I'm really m-
2: flipping lucky, definitely. I mean, I really do appreciate the fact that I still get to do the thing I love. Like, yeah,
0: but I yeah. think it's you. You know, I think I think it's it's down to your
2: my little tenacious plucky I, spirit. Th- I think it is. It's,
0: it's, it's but Not it's taking a, a hint.
2: It's, it's very
0: you know. I think it's an it's a it's a very inspiring story, and I think it just does show if you if you keep going and you keep finding. You, you know, you, and you've you've adapted, and you know you've done things like Strictly, obviously, which then is another, oh, yeah. another world, and you're opening mm-hmm. yourself up to, yeah, to all sorts of yes. <laughs> well, and but it's a, you know, it's a bit. That's a big thing to do, isn't it? In terms of again putting yourself out there.
2: Yeah, like definitely, like the most terrifying thing I've ever done. hundred yeah. percent. Yeah, lots of fun, but also like a lot of out of body experiences when you're about to do a cha cha. and like, tell you, like what? <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, there I was. You,
0: you don't seem to rate yourself as a dancer from in the book in in your in, when you look back well, at your videos and things like that.
2: I don't but think my technical, you know, dancing is that all that. But I do love a dance. And actually, yeah. when I did I did a thon last year where I had to dance for twenty four hours for children yes. in need. And um, and really near the end, <laughs> um, I was someone had come on stage to come and see me, and I was getting a bit delirious by then, and I was like saying, "Oh, I know, I'm I'm not really a very good dancer." And he said something like. No, but you look like someone I would like to go dancing with. And I thought, oh, actually, that's really sweet. <laughs> yeah. I thought, I'll take that. If yeah. I can have that, you know, that rapport with the audience when I'm doing a gig, Like oh, that's lovely. I'd, I'd much rather that than being an amazing dancer, just someone you feel you can dance with. That's
0: nice. It's a, it's a very nice <laughs> thing to say, and I'm sure it's true. Oh, and also, I mean, I was just listening. I was listening when I was driving. Yeah? And there's so many things I want to ask you that have fallen out of my head because <laughs> I'm so old and ridiculous but your was your music the first music ever on an iPod? Yes, Groovejet. That's insane.
2: That's pretty insane, isn't so it? So that was yeah. the
0: first track ever put on an Yeah, iPod when they
2: had it. the prototype iPod, they used Groovejet as the first thing to test if it was working with like Steve Jobs there and everything. Wow. My little voice popping out. That's that's literally the coolest thing I've done <laughs> according to my kids, like. <laughs> I can't top that.
0: I mean, it's a, oh, it's a good <laughs> trivia question, but it's also that is that's that's It's sort of like going to the moon. You're sort of like the Neil Armstrong of our generation.
2: I I think of it that way too. I'm glad you said it, not me, but I think of it that way too.
0: Um, So what can we... So we can carry the podcast. It's well worth uh, buying the book. Get the audio book, but do remember each time she says the audience is not... Sometimes she's talking about the audience, but sometimes she isn't talking about the audience. I'm sorry, guys. Um, It's not your fault. It's the person who named the band... <laughs> Therefore uh, And the kitchen disco tour—is it still—is it ongoing? Is—is is it going to go forever? Well, we
2: did it all with well, the first. One, yes, we'll do more, and I think yeah. we might do another tour next year. Actually, right, a Christmas kitchen disco tour. Yeah. Have some Christmas songs in there.
0: And your tour, and you've got—it's your new album. Yeah, out? coming out in
2: spring. Oh my gosh, I can't wait. Actually, That's I started doing that before lockdown. So yes, I think it's the seventh. Yeah. Yes, yes. Let's say seven. Yeah, it's I'm amazing. pretty sure. Yeah, no, it is.
0: And are <laughs> you going to be on Neighbours when it comes back? <laughs>
2: I'll be driving into that cul-de-sac. <laughs> like, Where do I go?
0: Where? I have to think this. Let's try and get... <laughs> if you can email people who get on TV shows... Why don't you email neighbours and say I just want to recreate the Chris Lowe scene exactly, yes. but with me and Sophie ellis Yeah,
2: Yep, I'm going to do that.
0: And then they can go, didn't that other guy come in here? Why they should <laughs> signpost the. Uh, <laughs> uh, we can we can work on it together. Um, look, it's so, <laughs> it's so lovely to meet you properly, uh, and thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Do listen to Sophie's podcast, ladies and gentlemen, amazing Sophie Ellis-Bextor, Sarah you so Alabaster. Thank you. Richard. Thank you. <laughs> You have been listening to Rahalastapa with me, Richard Herring, and my guest, Sophie Ellis-Bexter. Thank you to Scant Regard, who do the music for these titles, that I'm indebted to my producer, Ben Walker. I'm also indebted to Chris Evans, not that one. And everyone he knows, especially his family, who seem to do all the work for him now, he's a sort of feudal lord, employing them all to do his dirty work for him. Thank you to the Leicester Square Theatre for having us for this fantastic run. We're back here from January to March so do come and see us uh, this is a Sky Potato Fuzz and GoFast production thank you for listening goodbye <laughs>
1: They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.
0: Thanks again for listening to the podcast, richardherring.com slash Callback slash tour or richardhang.com slash gigs for all of the information on the tour. Go fasterstroke.com for lots of downloads and books and lots of fun. Thanks for listening. Go and listen to another one. Tell your friends about the show. Tell your friends about the tour. I love you all. I'm out.